just opened up the Jurassic Park thread, the owner's club, and someone just unboxed a brand new Jurassic Park pinball machine. Looks beautiful. And then they took a close-up of the star post that is in the slingshot area of the game. And the clear coat is puddling up in that section of the clear coat. Brand new game, new out of box from a stern pinball Jurassic Park. I think it's time that we address this issue and we dedicate an entire pinball podcast to what is going on behind the scenes that is not getting enough attention and enough coverage from the pinball media out there. And I think, I'm not blaming them, but I think that this is a topic that people just don't want to address because it's an inconvenient truth about something that is happening in the pinball industry right now that is affecting multiple manufacturers. You know, all this started because one guy, Harry Houdini, in Pinside, uh, on Pinside, was not satisfied with his response from Jersey Jack Pinball on these issues, and he kept hitting that drum over and over. Started a thread, started a poll. We started to get more owners of Jersey Jack Pinball's Pirates of the Caribbean to come out and share with us visual proof that their games too were being affected by this issue. Okay? Issues that people did not see on previous versions of Jersey Jack games. Issues people did not see on previous versions of Stern's pinball machines. And so I think we have enough information and enough data and enough visual uh, proof and evidence to do a podcast completely dedicated. Well, there might be a little news items at the end of this, but completely for the most part dedicated to doing a halt on your new inbox purchases until we find out what is happening with these games. And maybe you think it's premature, maybe you think I'm yelling fire inside a theater, but there is something different in the clear coat of these games that is causing this issue. Now, here's the main issue I have with this whole thing, is I don't make clear coats for a living. You don't make clear coats for a living, and I don't mean clear coats, but you don't make play fields for a living, and I don't have expertise and inside knowledge on what would cause this to occur in a pinball machine. And for most of us out there, I think we all fall into the same boat. We're like, well, I, I bought all these games all these years and I never had this issue. Now all of a sudden, on these new games I'm buying, I have an issue and it's causing the post to create puddling around them. That's where the clear coat like ripples. And after that, what happens is it chips. And when it chips, it takes the artwork with it. And now that is happening on games uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy we see it on. We saw it on Total Nuclear Annihilation, Pirates of the Caribbean. We're seeing it on Willy Wonka's brand new out of box. I mean, there's another thread that a guy said, I just bought a Willy Wonka. It's one month old and the artwork has chipped on it already. Okay? This isn't me making this up. This isn't me ambulance chasing. This isn't me trying to bring down companies. This is, these are actual photos and testimonial uh, evidence from owners of these games. Okay, so, so something has changed. Something has changed and you're seeing it in the very products that you're buying. And for a lot of these collectors out there, and you know me, I've always been on the side of the collector of pinball. I'm not here to talk about tournaments. I'm not here to do two and a half hour podcasts about strategies and how to tackle a pinball machine. I'm here to talk about the pinball collector, okay, and discuss things that are on your radar. The guy who loves to buy pinball machines, sell pinball machines, you know, speculate on what's next. And I, in the five years covering this, the only other time I remember an issue like this that created a little bit of a, you know, stop buying this game until the problem is figured out was when we had the ghosted insert issue on Ghostbusters. And don't don't get me wrong. Uh, Ghostbusters ghost and insert was a real issue. It was a real problem. It happened during a period in which, you never heard this, but this is the truth, a period in which Stern was in between, I, I think, Playfield manu- vendors with them, and they got a whole bad batch of games. Uh, and so that almost, I'm, I'm going to say this, like that financially 
that delay on Ghostbusters because of the ghosted inserts, you know, crippled Stern. And and guess what? Are you seeing ghosted inserts on Stern machines nowadays? Absolutely not. You know why? Because the people spoke and the people told Stern this is not good enough. And Stern, you know, you can say what you want about Stern. What did Stern do? They sent people who had ghosted insert problems fully populated play fields. Do you know how expensive that is to do? But they did the right thing and they made those customers. It took a while and there's a lot of fighting with some customers. It took a while, but they did the right thing and at a humongous cost to Stern Pinball, they fixed the problem. Now here's the problem now is we know that Jersey Jack Pinball is not and never will send people fully populated playfields if their brand new game is chipping. They don't have the money and the resources to do something like that. Stern can do it. They have a huge factory. They have multiple lines. And they also, Stern has the most to lose, right? If they have 85% of the market share, they can't afford to have a popular game like Ghostbusters just destroy all the goodwill between them and the customer base. So they did the right thing. But here we are today. You're opening up a game new in box, Jurassic Park, Guardians of the Galaxy, Willy Wonka, Pirates of the Caribbean, and you see the issue. And across the board right now, this issue does seem to be impacting uh, Jersey Jack games more. But the first question I want to ask is this. Is this issue derivative of one vendor's problem? Right? Is this coming from Mirko Playfields? Who's who's to go to first to find an answer on this? Do you go to the manufacturer or do you go to the vendor who bought the Playfields? Uh, no, sorry, 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 guys. Do you go to the manufacturer or the vendor who made the Playfields? Now, here's the thing. I think first and foremost, if you're having an issue with your game, you need to go to your distributor and tell them, hey, look, look what's happening. This isn't right. I've had, you know, I've bought multiple games. I've had games throughout the years. This should not be occurring on the play field. From there, the, you, go to the, you have to go to the manufacturer. The manufacturer is responsible. It is the manufacturer, and here's why. It is the manufacturer who is ordering the play fields from the vendor. The manufacturer needs to tell the vendor by which the standards they need to see met in order for them to pay for those play fields. So it is Jersey Jack's responsibility to make sure that the play fields they get from Mirko or anyone else arrive at their factory to the standards in which they need them to be. And if they are seeing the clear coat start to puddle and ripple and chip on brand new games that have only had uh, you know, post installed in them a few weeks ago or a week ago, they need to say, stop, stop the line, stop production. We can't keep putting these play fields into these games if this is going to occur. Now, they haven't done that, right? We saw the problem with Pirates of the Caribbean, and I think everyone just assumed that Jersey Jack would get to the bottom of this problem. Saw the same problem with Beatles, and now I'm seeing it with Jurassic Park. So something's going on that's really big. Something is happening here. It is almost as if the manufacturers have no clue what is causing this problem. And because they have no clue what is causing this problem, they have no communication on this problem. Think about it. Who's talking about this issue? Are the manufacturers telling you anything? No. Are they communicating with you? No. You're getting some like back sort of like backdoor deal where you can buy a you you can buy a, a new 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 stock playfield from Jersey Jack for 550 bucks, but the problem isn't fixed. So that's the other that's not a solution. Hey, here's here's playfields that have clear code issues. Hey, buy another one. Even, that'll have the same issues if you install it on your playfield. Because here's what's happening, and sh someone showed this on the Willy Wonka. The, the clear coat is just, it's too soft. It's just too soft. And I'm not sure what people, you know, people always said this. They said this with Ghostbusters. You got to give it enough time to cure. I mean, I don't know. Do you know how much time it takes a playfield to cure properly? Is it one week? Is it two weeks? Is it three weeks? 
Are manufacturers, are they speeding up production because they need to get production on the line? So are they putting these play fields together too quickly and not allowing the play field secure long enough? Now, if that were the case, then the manufacturer is solely to blame because Mirko or whoever's manufacturing the play fields must be telling these companies, you have to let them sit for X amount of weeks before you install any features on the play field because otherwise you'll get this result. Is that the case? I don't think that's the case. I'll tell you why. There is someone who bought a backup Pirates of the Caribbean playfield, and he's had it for a while, for weeks or a few months, and he still, to this day, says, I can push my fingernail into the clear coat, and it is super soft. It is super soft, and there is no way it is, it is a curing issue. Okay, so that's just what he says. So what is the problem? What is the problem? Is the problem what George Gomez said on this podcast almost two years ago? Is the problem that customers want to see shiny glass-like play fields that have thick clear coat on it? And when you make thick clear coat, uh, that will create you know a, a much taller layer of the varnish and the clear, and that'll create much more dimples. Now, is that thicker clear when you're going to screw in a post? Is it only natural that that post is sinking into it because there's just extra layers of clear? For it to sink into but i have to believe there needs to be a way to make that clear coat harder there has to be so then is it are they making it softer is there something with like the way the ink is adhering to the wood which adheres which then has to be a certain way and the clear coat has to be a different compound to sit over that artwork you know when you look at spooky pinball they've got with total uh sorry alice cooper's nightmare castle interesting right look at that game Around the slingshot area, around the post area, uh, there's no artwork. It's it's pure. It's it's plain wood. They did a cutout. Did they do that on purpose because they realized it's the artwork underneath the clear that is causing the weakness there? I don't know, right? It becomes it becomes like a wild goose chase to try and figure out what the issue is. So here's my thing. Here's my main point today on Canada's Pinball Podcast. I don't want to have to go on a wild goose chase to figure out what the issue is. I can clearly see there's an issue in other people's games. I don't want to have to wait weeks and months for for manufacturers to address this issue. I don't want to have to wait for the other pinball media to actually make this a main topic of discussion. Meanwhile, people, you know, they're gushing over how great these games are. Meanwhile, people are buying games and, and, and these issues are occurring and now they've got nothing but a super expensive headache. I don't want to do any of that. Here's what I want to tell you to do. I want to tell you to stop buying new in-box games until this problem is solved. Stop buying new in-box games until you get a direct solution to this problem. Why are you going to roll the dice with this much money, just hoping you're going to be a fortunate son and, and get a game that's perfect. And I don't care if that guy's per, that guy's game over there is perfect in Chicago or that game, guy in Oregon has no issues. All I care about is that there's consistency. Would you buy a car? Would you buy a car if, if your neighbor's Corvette clear coat is perfect, but yours is chipping? And well, you know what? You just have to live with it. That's total BS. So I, I'm just saying right now, there needs to be a halt of production using whatever vendor is serving up these play fields to manufacturers. There needs to be a halt until we figure out what is causing this issue. I think it is irresponsible for these manufacturers to continue to put these kinds of problems into the game and then passing those problems on to you, the customer who is spending all this money because as we all know, the most difficult thing to do, the most expensive thing to do is a playfield swap. So I'm saying right here, what is it, August like 22nd or 21st, saying right now, uh, August 21st, Wednesday, I think you'd be silly to buy a new inbox game right now until you get confirmation from these manufacturers on what the issue is. And I know the manufacturers listen to this podcast and maybe I don't have that much influence, but maybe let's show them we do. We have 2,500 people that listen to every episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. And I'm not trying to hurt 
pinball manufacturers. I'm not. I want them to be successful. But when we have a well-documented issue that just needs to be addressed and no one seems to want to address it, that's where I draw the line and I'm always on the side of the buyer, not the company. Because here's what I think might be happening. They might be saying, well, this just falls within the acceptable limits of playfield quality control. And I, I know... I know they might be thinking that, but I'm here to tell them right now, Stern, Jersey Jack, Spooky, Pinball, Chicago Game, whoever it is, when it happens to you, it's unacceptable. I don't accept that as, as, a, as an answer. Something has changed in the way these games are made. Something is happening now that's been happening for you know almost a year and a half, two years. You need to figure out what the problem is. I don't care if that's gonna cost you money, I don't care if that's gonna cost you business, but you need to either find a new vendor, you need to figure out what the issue is, you need to develop a new test in which you can test these play fields to see if the posts are gonna sink into the clear like this within just a few weeks of ownership. You know, it's on you, manufacturer, it's on you to ensure that the product that goes out to customers has been put through all of the necessary tests to ensure the quality will be there. And now it's not just about, apparently it's not just about how mechanisms will hold up. How will the playfield clear cut, clear coat hold up over time? Screw in post. Screw in post with extra torquing. See how much pressure it takes before that clear coat brittle, it becomes brittle and breaks. Or, or will it sink in? I mean, someone showed a photo, and it is unbelievable. The post by the slings, it's moving the clear coat like a body of water. It's pushing that clear coat in the direction in which the sling rubber is pulling on the post. It is too malleable. It's too soft, okay? And I just wouldn't buy anything until it's figured out. You know, I'm looking, let me look over my, my Batman 66 right now. Let me let me look over that machine. I mean, it was built about two years ago. And let me see if there's any rippling in any of the posts in this game, okay? Because this does have softer uh, clear coat. I've seen Batmans and I've seen, you know, this game like become a dimple cratered mess. And I'm looking at the post in my slings. Look at it. I'm, I'm doing it right now. You know, I don't really see anything. Nothing to be worried about. Now, here's the other part that sucks is, right, people open up a new inbox pinball machine, the new inbox experience, and what do we get now? It's just all these zoomed-in photos of, to see, like, what's going on with, like, the posts and the clear coat. So something's going on, and I just wouldn't buy anything until they figure this problem out. And I think all the manufacturers need to stop doing this one thing. They need to stop the silence Silence is BS. It is not an acceptable response to your customers. Every time I read about people trying to call over to Jersey Jack and get a response and no one picks up the phone and no emails and they open up a ticket and there's nothing, I just want to like pick my computer up and throw it against the wall. You can't have silence be a response to a customer complaint. And I don't care if that customer is annoying. I don't care if that customer doesn't, you don't have a solution for them yet. I don't care if, the, if they're barraging you with, with, a, with nuance, you know, annoying like requests. It doesn't matter. Here's why. They gave you their money. They paid for an expensive toy that you made. You're now responsible. Like it or not, you're responsible. Now, customers still should go through distributors. Hound the distributors as well. Don't just call directly into Jersey Jack every day. You know, I sent Jack an email and I asked him if he would give me a comment on on this issue. I didn't hear back from him. But here's, I sent it to him last night. It's August. He might be away. He might be traveling. He might not be there. I'm not going to like crucify him because of that. But let me tell you this. Because of this podcast, and we're going to keep banging this drum, and we're going to tell you not to buy. I'm going to tell you not to buy these games until we get an answer, and we will get an answer, and we will not stop until we get an answer on this issue, and I encourage the other pinball podcasts out there to also talk about this issue and also pressure these companies to do this until we get an answer. I encourage the pinball streamers that are out there to do it. I encourage Jeff at This Week in Pinball to make this 
a front page story. Jeff, this is news. People are buying games that are having clear code issues and nobody wants to take responsibility. This is way more damn important than stupid haggis pinball or that, uh, you know, Cosmic Carnival is only going to have 100. Woohoo. Nobody cares, bro. Put this on the front page. All right. And I want to thank Harry Houdini and all the other people in those threads for not letting this topic die. I know you guys are in, in a rough spot and it seems like nobody wants to highlight it. So uh, Canada's Pinball Podcast is, has just highlighted it for everybody out there. And you best believe they're gonna pay attention. And this is the responsibility of the media. This is part of what we're here to do. We're not just here to shill the games. We're not just here to like gush over everything. We're also here to bring up topics that you that aren't the one, you know, aren't always positive that are inconveniences for these pinball companies. Because if we don't do it, who will? Who has your back? Who has your back? You think Pinside's gonna have your back? You think Robin's gonna go do that? You think Jonathan Justin of Pinball Magazine who keeps defending Barry at Dutch Pinball is gonna look out for you? The guy's looking out for Barry. Have you read that thread? He keeps giving Barry the benefit of the doubt. He keeps failing to realize that the reason ARA said enough with these clowns is they didn't get paid. I don't know what world we live in. I guess like the Dutch law, when you declare bankruptcy, all of your debts are absolved. What kind of world is that? You, you get like this like universal bailout. What a way to incentivize business people to make the dumbest business decisions and screw over their customers because, hey, hey, the Dutch government will like look out for you. This is why in America, oh, I can't even say that. We bailed out so many companies. But anyway, anyway I just want to let you guys know I got your back. And I'm going to make this a topic, and I think everyone should stop buying their games. Hey, what's the worst that could happen if you stop buying your Willy Wonka LE? They're only making 5,000 of them. I w- why would you buy one until this problem is figured out? I just talked to a customer yesterday who bought one, and he's got the issue. And it's just like, oh, you know, now he's got to live with it. Now he's got to live with it. And here's the big issue. Oh, my God. You really think they're going to have this problem figured out before they ask people for $12,500 collector's editions versions of the game? No, they don't have it figured out. Those clear, those playfields have to have been ordered already and should be curing by now. And so people are going to spend the most expensive amount of money on any pinball game available today. And they're going to have playfield puddling and chipping issues. And Pirates of the Caribbean, Collector's Edition owners went through the same thing. So I think it's crazy. And I think everyone needs to stop and get an answer. All right. Wow. Wow, I just did it. Focused on one topic for 23 minutes. A couple other things I want to talk about. And then we'll end this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Oh man, what else is going on? So let me read. Let me read a, a note from some of you guys. But before that, I do that. Let me do a couple of news items. So first and foremost, I encourage you guys if you like this show, and you are on Facebook, I encourage you to uh, f- become a member or like me. Uh, please like me. Uh, Canada's Pinball Podcast has a Facebook page, and the reason why I encourage you to do that is I'm going to start you know uploading every episode to to that page but it's a good place for us to have a discussion about the topics we talk about on this show so if you do that um, you know join in on the conversation it's a really good conversation it's 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 and it's everyone's very respectful and it's a really good place we have like about 550 of you are, are friends of the page um, but I just want to let you guys know if you want to uh, reach out to me or, or, or talk to me more often. We can do that on Facebook as well because I do chime in on all the comments that happen on that page, right? Okay, I saw a two games for sale that I think are ludicrous. Uh, there's a Big Bang Bar. I think it's new in box for $22,500. And then there's a Theater of Magic, a high-end pin, a HEP-restored Theater of Magic for $15,500. And, you know, we've said this before on this show. These high-end games and this Big Bang Bar, those are two games that Chicago Gaming Company has already said they're going to remake. And when Big Bang Bar gets remade by Chicago Gaming Company, it's going to cost like $8,000. So you could you could spend $14,500 more on one, or you could just wait. And same with Theater of Magic. And, you know, this Theater of Magic, it's beautiful. It's It's got a lot of brass plating. But they didn't brass plate the coin door. You can't charge me $15,500 for a brass plated Theater of Magic and not brass plate the coin door. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not going to sell. And I just saw another Theater of Magic sell like a, a couple of weeks ago for $8,500. 
And so, you know, I think what people have failed to realize is, and they, no, they haven't. I think you guys are really smart. These games will sit forever. They will. Nobody is going to pay you what you paid high-end pinball for the game. I know you might have paid 15000 for it, but sorry, I just hate to break it to you, but a HEP-restored Theater of Magic now is probably worth more like ten dollars to $11,000 with the remakes looming. And they're coming. They are coming. And they're going to be better versions of those games. You might as well just, if you buy a Chicago gaming company, Theater of Magic, and then go get it brass plated, it, all in all, it'll cost you like $9,000. If you buy a HEP one, you're going to lose 6500 bucks on top of that? No way. Sorry. I mean, I love his work. I would love for Chris to chime in on the play field issues because if anyone has experience, you know, where is Chris with Hutchins and 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 then Cruzman or Cruzman? Where are the two guys? The two guys that do amazing restorations. I would love for them to chime in. I would love for them to be a guest of the show and chime in about these play field issues and talk to us about why they think this is occurring in the playfields because here's here's the thing they know how to clear a playfield they 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 have the skill set they're not skillless like this pinball podcaster and oh yeah Harry Houdini once again I would happily have you come on the show to talk about this I would love to have your point of view and it's canadapinball at gmail.com I know he doesn't really listen to pinball podcast but if you know Harry uh, just tell him to hit me up I would love to have him as a guest all right so those games are not going to sell. That's just that's just that. All right. All right. Now Deep Root, Deep Root Pinball. Uh, there's a reason why Deep Root has deactivated their Pinside account. And no, it's not because they're going away. It's because if you look at Pinside and you look at what Robin and the moderators have allowed the Deep Root thread to become, it's a complete joke, and they should be embarrassed that they allowed the inmates to run the asylum. You know, Robert was active on the Deep Root thread, and Robert would chime in every now and now and again. He might have said stuff every once in a while that might not have been the most popular, but at least you had the head guy at a new pinball company engaging with the community. And once again, Pinside has failed to do what they're supposed to do and is just keep the thread on topic. And now the thread is just a dumpster fire and Deeproot has deactivated their account, and, and, and Robin is still letting the dumpster fire go. So uh, I, I think you're gonna, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Deeproot does, and especially what they do with regards to Pinside. I'll just leave it at that, all right? All right, what else is going on? Let me read a couple of your notes, and then I'm, I'm done on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. See, we can, we can talk about something important and not take hours, all right? All right, I got in, you know, apparently my last couple episodes were somewhat polarizing that people uh, some people like them some people thought they were negative and I want to read some of your feedback on them how's that sound and then I'm also going to read some of the stuff from Facebook because I did ask the question what's the most magical thing you've seen in pinball in the last five years and this is in response to my last episode about Canada dreams of pinball uh, because I, you know, I still think I still think if you ask some very basic questions about what's wowing you in this industry Man, people come up with a really short list. Like, there's a lot of games, but the list of magic is always really short. All right, so Jeremy Herman wrote in. Now, Jeremy, first of all, thank you for listening to the show. And he said, Chris, your last few episodes have been super negative and are painful to listen to at even two times speed with ample use of skip 30-second button. You talk about getting bored with the recent pins coming out. I'm bored with you bitching about everything from a podcast pulpit. For instance, the recent rant on how the theme choice is the most important thing ever. Have you Googled all-time greatest pinball machines? Let's have a look at IPDB's list. Literally half of the top 20 aren't licensed themes. Theater of Magic, Medieval Madness, Monster Bash, Whitewater, Tales of the Arabian Nights, Attack from Mars, Funhouse, Circus Voltaire, Fishtails, The Getaway. The list goes on. Do you think anyone cares that Medieval Madness isn't called Monte Python and the Holy Grail? Well, let me tell you something right now. If it was called Monte Python and the Holy Grail, Jeremy, yeah, they would have cared and they would have bought more and it would have been more successful. Oh, wait, Medieval Madness wasn't very successful back in the day. Uh Uh-oh, okay. Look, it's still a great game, absolutely great game, because it's a great design with fun rules and call-outs. You said all of us should demand a little bit more 
than what we're getting right now from Pinball. I expect more from you. How about some more interviews? That's when you're on your best behavior. Bonus points for not crapping, uh, he says the S word, on Jerry every opportunity you get. He's contributing a hell of a lot more to this community than you are. Look at the new and homebrew machines running on his hardware. Despite this rant, I love you. Jeremy, I love you too. Look, I'll do some interviews. Who do you want me to interview, people? Tell me who you want me to interview. Pinball at gmail.com. I mean, do you need me to interview people at Stern? I mean, Nate Shivers has got that taken care of now. I found out why Nate unfriended me. I wasn't going to say this. I'll tell you this right now. Apparently, someone shared with Nate. Um, he said bad things I said about him. He said multiple people shared bad things I said about Nate Shivers, which means, uh, you know, look, in the pinball podcasting world, here's a little dirty secret. Everyone's talking crap about everyone behind the scenes. It's, it's, it's what we do. Um, some of this stuff is, is, you know, just jabbing. Some of it is more personal. Uh, but someone apparently, you know, screen grabbed. Uh, conversation and sent it to Nate so that's great it's always nice to know that on social media it's nothing filled with a bunch of backstabbers that will just take what you say in private and go share it and look I said hey man Nate I'm sorry I don't even know what I said I don't even know how to defend myself I don't even know who you're talking about and what's always amazing is when people backstab you it's like they're always anonymous they never tell you who gave them the information they just unfriend you and that's cool like I don't you know all all is fair in love and pinball podcasting and you know I, I don't you know again that's just the way it is nowadays it's like you got to be really careful I mean, I guess the ultimate lesson I learned is just don't say bad things about people. Don't say nasty things about people unless you want it, want it to get to them and unless you're comfortable saying it to their face, okay? But, you know, like I've always said, like, I think Nate's show is great. Um, I think he's going to, you know, be the spokesperson for Stern. And, and I don't think it's, it's, it's what he wants to do. He wants to tell pinball history and he wants to give you the interviews with Stern people. So I am not going to get Stern interviews, okay? I, they, they won't do it. I reach out to Zach Sharp all the time, and he always respectfully declines my request for interview. Uh, I've interviewed Jerry recently. I want to interview who, who? If I could interview anyone in pinball right now, who 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 would I want to interview? Uh, you know, it's a good question. I would want to interview. There's only one person that I'm dying to interview right now, and I want to get them on the show, and that's Robert Mueller. I want to get Deep Root back on the show. I would love to interview Robert Mueller. I would love to interview. Barry from Dutch Pinball. All right, if I could have, he'd be my second most in-demand interview. Barry from Dutch Pinball. I want to talk to that guy. That guy has been able to hide from a podcaster like me. He'll never do this show. He never wants to talk to someone like me because I'm going to go right at him, right at him. I would love to interview John Papaduke. I would love to interview Joe Balser. I would love to interview Davel over at American Pinball. I want to interview people where I think the interview would be interesting. What I don't want to do, and I don't need to do, is I don't want to interview people that are just going to come on, shill their product and their game, or they've been interviewed 18 million times by other people. I mean, that's you know that's the thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, I, I love guys like Jack Danger. I talk to him all the time, and I always say, Jack, you should come on the show. But the thing is, Jack is always out there doing his thing, giving you his point of view. He's been on many shows. I Sure, I could have him on, and I could, you know, Look, in every other pinball podcast you have out there, they have co-hosts. I mean, it's basically like each two people talking about pinball. What I like about this show is it's just me. You know, and again, like when I feel like doing an interview with someone, I will. I'll try my hardest to get the interviews I want to do for you. Uh, but you know what? If those people are not available and they don't want to talk, I don't really care to just do an interview to do an interview. I used to be like that. I used to have like guests of the show come on and talk about pinball. And, and it just bored me. I don't want to hear just another, like, just everyone towing the same line on pinball. I want to give you guys interviews where we're uncovering something. You know, my favorite interview and my favorite thing that we ever learned, and this is one of my favorite interviews, maybe not my favorite, but one of the best interviews I ever did, and he's never done another pinball podcast interview, was with Nick Parks, in which Nick Parks, a huge distributor for pinball, actually gave us amazing information and it was it was a bombshell news it was bombshell news that a lot of people have forgotten that stern would love for you to get that the cost to actually make a stern machine is around three thousand dollars now 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 go buy a black knight le for nine thousand dollars and tell me tell me who doesn't deserve your twippy vote number three canada's pinball podcast all right let's go on to see if we have any more any more feedback here 
Uh, you know, I would love to interview Zach Manny. Did I did I mention that? Zach Manny. Zach's funny to me. Like he won't come on my show. He won't let me go on his show. And yet we're friends. We talk every day. I don't understand the the reason why that happens. You know, I, I'm kind of calling him out here. Like, why don't we just like have a pinball conversation? It's like we can have it for hours on Facebook, but there's something about the public perception of Zach Manny and me, like sharing the airwaves that he feels might be damaging uh i don't know why zach what's up what's up you know greg comes on the show all the time uh, i also want to interview ken cromwell from special one lit because I, I love that show and i want to get him on all right what else before i do that i want to talk about one other news item so uh, i reached out to to jason fowler over at slap safe pinball podcast because i listened to their last show and i was like wait a minute i didn't sell my big lebowski for thirty thousand dollars and he reported it as such i think i was joking with him saying hey yeah it's on ebay and i bet someone will pay thirty thousand dollars for it but no one bought a big lebowski for thirty thousand dollars if you buy big lebowski for thirty thousand dollars you're a freaking moron i wouldn't even sell it to someone for thirty thousand dollars because i don't want someone to be a moron the game is not sold i have not done anything with pirates of the caribbean i still have a collector's edition for thirteen thousand five hundred that is exactly what i paid for it people need to stop oh, i didn't i'm not trying to flip that for profit there's another pirates of the caribbean ce for sale for almost fifteen thousand dollars by but by Hemi Orange on Pinside, you could either buy that one or buy the one I have for 13,500. You go decide, you wanna waste another 1200 bucks for no reason whatsoever and mine has more mods in it. I just don't know, you know where to put it right now because I wasn't expecting to buy uh, Big Lebowski because financially right now, I'm not a multi-multi-millionaire like some of you guys out there and I just booked an expensive trip to Japan. I'll tell you right now, between, uh, the last six months, uh, it's like I used to be in this position where like I would make $2 for every $1 I would spend on life. But the last like six months, because of a lot of expensive things, lately it's felt like, oh, for every dollar I make, I'm spending $2 and it sucks. And, I, and I'm just trying to like put a pause on that for a while to get back to where I want to be. Uh, I'm not in financial trouble, but you know, I'd like to have a lot saved up. I don't like to, to uh, have pinball machines be my investments. All right, I got an email from Stuart Burns, he says, uh, can non-licensed pinball themes exist in 2019, 2020? Dear Canada, thank you for your podcast entertainment each week. I will vote for you in the Twippies. Yes, I can't wait for the third Twippy Awards. I, I, you, know what I, you know what's gonna be funny, guys, is it's gonna be funny to see how the other pinball podcasters out there handle asking for your Twippy vote. Remember last year, like nobody wanted to ask for the vote and everyone was like ashamed and then head-to-head -head pinball tried to crap all over the twippies and then they realized the mistake in their ways like after doing a year of incredible shows they then said the twippies don't really matter and then they realized their mistake they they did such hard work imagine doing all this hard work on an assignment and then going in front of a client and being like you know what i don't really care if we win this business that's what it was like and and oh my god but anyway this year I think it's going to be like the 2020 presidential election. Where we're going to have like all these candidates, right? It's going to be like the DNC where everyone's going to come out and they're all going to have a really hard time asking for votes. But you know me, I do this podcast to make the best pinball podcast I think the world has ever heard. I'm not being I'm not being arrogant. I do this show to do the to make the best. And I think this is the most entertaining because of how we do the show. And that means a lot to me. And the Twippies do mean a lot to me and I'll always be honest about that. And I'm going to start, I'm not going to start campaigning right now, even though this sounds like I just started campaigning. All right. Then he says, do you think that any non-licensed theme can exist in this current climate? Is Medieval Madness 2, uh, Brian Eddy design, is the only theme that could possibly cut through license re, uh, recognition? Or do you even think it's a theme that would still struggle in the current environment? All right. Some Stewie B. Here, here's Stewie, it's a great question. It's a great question. Like, do I think that like a Medieval Madness 2, a Theater of Magic 2, or a Big Bang Bar 2, would they be successful? I'll tell you this right now. I think those, if you did a sequel to one of the most popular pinball original IPs of all time, it would only work if you made it a special collectible game for the diehard pinball people because those themes, I hate to break it to you guys, they mean absolutely nothing 
to most of the people who buy new pinball machines. They mean nothing. Pat Lawler means nothing. George Gomez means nothing. Brian Eddy means nothing. Zombietti means no none of these guys. I don't know why I threw Zombietti. He's he's like a new guy. But you know, like all the old designers and the old themes that were really popular, they don't have any modern day cachet for the most part. They the cachet only exists within the diehard who actually love those original titles, okay? And that's a much smaller pool of people. Go back and look at how many people bought Medieval Madness back then or like how many were in the arcades. It wasn't that many. And so a lot of the reason why those games were great is they were great games, but they also came out in an, in, a, in a period in which there were so many licensed themes. But they're also just great games. But your question was this, if these games came out today, would they be successful? Only if a company said, we're gonna make Medieval Madness 2 and we're gonna make only 500. We're only gonna make 500 Big Bang Bar 2. And I also think you price them higher, but also if you look at those games and you look at the game, the reason why people love those games from the 90s, it's like I said on my last podcast, is because those games have so much mechanically amazing stuff happening in them and the code and the sound effects and the lights and the music and the callouts, freaking the callouts. We haven't seen callouts as good as Medieval Madness ever in New Pinball. We haven't seen callouts as good as the Adams Family and other of those nine, those Bally Williams games. All the great games like Monster Bash, those callouts are so much better than any callouts in new games. To me, if you ask me, like those games had one thing, they had personality. They had personality in their design and their mechanisms and the callouts and the light show and the modes. Most of these games nowadays, they lack the cohesive personality that those games had. But if you're going to remake it, you best not make it a mass volume thing. And you have to look no further than Black Knight, Sword of Rage, and how that game is not selling very well. It's because they made a mistake. They listened to, I know. I actually know whose idea it was to make it, and it wasn't Steve Ritchie's. Uh, I'm not going to call him out. But they, they, they made a mistake. And this is what happens all the time. When you start to think that pinball history and the pinball enthusiasts, the Stern Army guys, the guys who've been playing pinball religiously for 20, 30 years, when you start to think that that's your market to make a successful new game, at volume, you fail. You fail horribly. You fail horribly. But when you understand that, all right, there's there are 500 diehard old school guys that would buy this then you're, you're on to something. I think you need to make it more limited. All right, let's see what else we got here. Oh, people, how you doing this morning? I feel like we should just like every once in a while just get a beer and not even talk about pinball and see what else is going on in our lives that's interesting because I do think it's not healthy to think too much about pinball. All right, so Angelo Murrow. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm enjoying your constant podcasting. Keep it up. Do you have a link to listen to the Stern Insider podcast by Keith Elwin? I buy every single Stern game that comes out. I'm not paying for the Insider BS. Any link torrent download is much appreciated. Angelo. Well, Angelo, the good news is you don't have to uh, pay for uh, Stern Insider program to listen to the podcast, which is the good news. The bad news is Stern requires you to give them all of your personal information to register for Stern Insider page. And once you give them your phone number, your email, your address, everything that is you, once you hand it over to them, then they will allow you to listen to their little podcast. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's a joke. I do. Stern is just funny to me. Stern's whole mission is to expand pinball, and yet they create a pinball podcast that's behind closed doors. It, it reeks a little bit of arrogance. I don't think Zach really, I don't think he's a bad guy, but it's like, come on, come on. Welcome to 2019 and how the podcasting world should work. I mean, I, I think that Stern's like behind the firewall kind of podcast is not going to work out. People have already said when they try to listen to it on that platform, it's buggy, it lags. You ain't going to get no lag when you listen to Canada's Pinball Podcast on iTunes or on SoundCloud, right? This is, and it's all free. You don't have to give me anything. You know, when people complain about this podcast, I just remind them, like, uh -uh, you're not paying for it. It's all for free. So, uh, you know, enjoy it because it might not last forever. Uh Uh-oh, is that a spoiler alert? Maybe, maybe not. All right. All right. So, yeah, but if you go to Stern's Pinball page in the Insider, you can listen to it for free, Angela. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to pay any money. TBL, John 
Galvin said, hey, Chris, are you in the second batch of TBL shipments from ARA? I am, and I'm looking forward to it. All right, so John, um, I, I, I would assume so. I think there's two batches. I have not received a word from Cointaker on the status of the machine I purchased. Uh, have to be honest, I'm, I'm not really in a rush to, to do anything with it. It is going to sit in storage until I make up my mind. All right, let's see. Mike P, feedback for Pinball Themes Podcast. Hey, Canada, great episode as usual. Something I always wondered, why haven't there been more video game themes used? There are some massive video game franchises around now, and the video game industry has been bigger than the movie industry and music industry combined. You would think the pinball manufacturers would be looking at this more closely. Or maybe there's a market research that shows that people who play pinball don't play video games. That's not true. I think a lot of people play both. Um, but he goes on to say, here are a few examples. Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, Halo, Tomb Raider, The Witcher, Assassin's Creed, and Metal Gear. I'm not familiar with Dave and Busters, but from what you have described recently, I'm thinking some video game themes for the younger audience could be successful here. Pokemon, Mario, Sonic, Zelda, and Minecraft. See, I think those are great ones, Mike. I do. I think the ones you mentioned above, like Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, are terrible. Some themes are just much better in video game form and much more immersive. And the people who love those games, like Fortnite people don't want to play pinball machines. They would be bored to death if it was a pinball medium bringing Fortnite to them. So that's just where it's at. I do think, though, like the iconic themes, like you can make a pinball Donkey Kong or a Super Mario Brothers or Zelda. I think those would be very cool. I don't know why it's not done. If I were Deep Root, I would, I would call up Nintendo and see what's the deal. The, here's why it's probably not done. You think Disney's expensive? Good luck looking at how expensive it is to license the rights to you know, Nintendo properties. But, but the thing is this. You don't have to worry about paying actors a separate fee because they're, everything is working with fictional characters. I think it should be a little bit easier to pull off. Brenda, you can come in. I know. I'm running late. Just coming in. Uh, we do this in the morning, people. Usually do this between 7.30 and around 8.30 a.m. People wonder, where do you get the time? Real question they should be asking is, where do I get the guts to tell the pinball community to stop buying games until the playfield issues are taken care of? All right. Let's see what else we got here. Then I'll let you guys go. Do, 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 do. Licenses. Okay, Robert. I got to read. Robert gave me a really awesome Scott Drager topic that will get some opinions. Hey, Canada, the pinball distribution model has a flaw. Manufacturers do not reward the creation of showrooms. In the automobile dealer world, dealers get credit for having a nice showroom that is on brand. We all know there is sufficient margin in pinball to display products properly. This especially true for aspiring lifestyle brands. Most distributors just drop ship machines, and they don't care about customer once the box hits the curb. But some distributors operate nice showrooms at considerable expense to themselves. Great American Pinball is an example near me. Mike Nogle showcases new games unboxed and playable for sale. He has Wonka Jurassic Park Munster's Sword of Rage on display with about 25 other machines. Maybe the manufacturer should give some credits or benefit for distributors who are building brand value for the manufacturers. If you want a lifestyle brand, you need a nice retail environment. Manufacturers should support unique placement of products. Uh, Scott. Scott, I think that's a really interesting topic. I, I really do. And, you know, Stern tried to open up a store, like a Stern store to sell games. And, and, and they quickly bailed out and realized that brick-and-mortar retail is not their industry. It, it is manufacturing. Uh, here's here's what I would say. Uh, you know, it, I don't think like Stern. It's Stern's responsibility. If you have a nicer pinball showroom, you're going to attract more people into your showroom. You're going to have an environment in which selling games is going to, you know, be more successful for you because you have a showroom that is appealing to people. I think there are some distributors that are set up solely for like the pin side buyer, right? I think they they have just a warehouse. And they have like, 
you know, a huge customer list and they have their rich collectors who buy every LE and these guys just move product from A to B. They don't really, they don't even need a showroom. Like they're just like middlemen, right? You know, they don't, that's their business model. Other people like Great American Pinball, you know, they have a model in which they, they do both, which they can get you a game A to B if you don't even need to walk in, but they have something that's attractive for people to walk into. Uh, but nobody made them become a pinball distributor. And I, I believe in, in a free market, and I believe that if you want to start selling a car and you want to start selling, you know, you, you, you can make the dealership the way you want to make the dealership. I think car dealers, or sorry, car brands, uh, require that a dealership be to a certain standard, right, to become a dealership. Uh, absolutely, right? You're not going to find like a Bentley dealership in, in a beat up warehouse. Uh, but, you know, there's not, I don't, I don't know, there's not a ton of volume in pinball sales. There's not that much money uh, that, you know, the margins are so good where, you know, the manufacturers should be like building the lifestyle within the showrooms. I just don't think most people care. I really, you know, this is always where I end up. I Sometimes I feel like pinball people, who, gaming showrooms are not like that there's not that many of them there's not that much demand to have that experience be incredible i will say this um you know i, I think it's just up to the individual distributor you create the create the see to me the distributor becomes the brand within pinball right i mean who does not think that like coin taker is a brand tnt amusements is a brand great american pinball is a brand and when and and those brands are brands because the people backing them are very well known within the community and like JJ is a brand right Gex Exchange you know you know I, I love JJ like I love Chris I love like Melissa I love you know all these pinball distributors that have the, the right kinds of personalities that's what makes you want to buy from them I think you could care less if there's a showroom or not um, I'm just saying I mean it's more for like the casual ignorant person that doesn't know anything about pinball yeah you want their experience to be nice but I don't know. Part of me is just like, who, like, why do we care so much about some of this stuff? I, I, I you know, I mean, if, if that person wants a pinball machine in their basement, I don't really think they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to do like a, a white glove across the windowsill inside the distributor. And if it's not like a nice environment, they're not going to buy it. I don't know. And if distributors are, are selling games and then not supporting them, then they won't keep selling games. You know, I mean, it, the, the, the distributors that are being successful, they have great customer service. And they, 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 they follow their customer from A to Z and they're always there for them. And that's who you should buy from. I don't really care about showrooms. Buy from people who take care of their customers. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, to put a bow in this podcast, don't buy a game until the clear code issues, until we hear from the manufacturers about what they're going to do to have our backs. Don't do it. Cancel your order today. Tell them Canada sent you. Large Marge Canada sent you. Have a good day, everybody.